Good morning, Zion. What a wonderful morning of worship already. Jesus is so worthy of our praise. My name is Jennifer Colby, and I'm one of the directors here at Zion. It is really good to be with you here in the park on a day like today. I love the Olympics. My siblings and I had an opening ceremonies party on Friday. We made food from all over the world, wore our red, white, and blue attire, and cheered loudly for Team USA. For sure, at the top of my Olympics favorites are the PNG Thanks Mom commercials and the highlight reel at the very end of the evening programming. And at the very end of the highlight reel, they always show a medal ceremony where Team USA gets the gold. The athlete stands at the top of the podium, gets the gold medal hung around his or her neck, and hears the national anthem start to play. It's my favorite because when you watch their facial expressions, when you see their emotions, you truly do get the sense that all of those years of sacrifice, of training, of disciplining themselves, of giving up things for this cause has been worth it. And you feel for them because you know that all of this has required endurance and perseverance and that it wasn't easy. You acknowledge that there were probably moments when they wanted to quit, maybe even did quit, yet here they are on the podium receiving their reward. And NBC is just so clever because they play the medal ceremony at the end of every night. They leave the viewers with the one main takeaway, the the one thing they want you to remember, the one last note that summarizes all the rest of it. And it's this, here's what victory looks like. And we've come to that place in the Lord's Prayer where God is doing the same thing for us, where he says, look, this is what victory looks like. Here's what spiritual victory looks like. Listen, I've I've been teaching you how to pray, but I'm just going to summarize all of it for you. I'm going to leave you with one last note, one main takeaway. I'm highlighting it here because it's the one thing that if you do it, it will show that you understand all the other things we've been talking about here. You'll get it. You'll understand my heart. Our text today comes from Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. Jesus is talking once again about forgiveness. Now, you might be thinking, didn't Jason just talk about forgiveness like two weeks ago? Yes, he did. And it was a great message. You should go back and listen to it. We're not talking about it again today because we think it's important, although that's true. We're talking about it again because Jesus thinks it's important. So important, in fact, that he's the one who brought the topic back up again. And so Jesus says it again. He, he adds a PS, a postscript, if you will, a highlight reel right here at the end of the Lord's Prayer. We're going to find that forgiveness accomplishes all the other areas of the Lord's Prayer. Forgiveness reveals the character of God. Our Father, who art in heaven, is forgiving. He desires repentance more than destruction. Forgiveness reveals the kingdom of God. The will he wants done on earth as it is in heaven is for people to come to know his forgiveness. Forgiveness reveals God's provision for us. We say, give us this day our daily bread. Yet no greater bread, no greater need has ever been fulfilled than when Christ went to the cross for the forgiveness of sins. To bridge that gap between us and a holy God. Forgiveness reveals how God guides us. Lead us not into temptation. That path almost always involves forgiveness. And forgiveness reveals how God delivers us. Deliver us from evil, from our evil hearts. And oh, how he does that over and over and over again through the cleansing of our hearts through forgiveness. You may have noticed that I skipped one. 
forgive us our sins as we forgive those who trespass against us. And here's where I think the Lord is like, yeah, I just need to say this one again. Read along with me in your Bible or in the Zion app, Matthew chapter 6, verses 15, 14 and 15. Jesus says this, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. I think what we need to do before we go any further is ask some questions of this text. By the way, I'm going to give you a tip here. Asking questions of the text is actually a really good way to study your Bible. So number one, what is forgiveness? I looked up the definition of forgiveness and it said to forgive. Yeah, no kidding. Somebody tell me what forgiveness is and how to do it. Google's not helping me with this one. Number two, why is us forgiving other people so important to God? And number three, does God really not forgive me if I don't forgive other people? That seems to go against everything I've ever known as a Christian. What does he mean? Now, there are four main expressions of God's forgiveness in the Old Testament. And I love going to the Old Testament for this because it just reminds me that the Bible is one complete story of God's redemptive plan for us. The Old Testament defines forgiveness as to send sin away, to cover over sin, to wipe away sin, and to remove sin. We see all these definitions manifested in Jesus Christ on the cross. And this is important because if we want to know how to forgive other people, we need to know how we've been forgiven. Micah 7.19 tells us that God sends away our sin by hurling all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. In the spirit of the Olympics, do you know what I imagine here? I imagine God like shot putting all of our sin, not not just one or or the least bad sin, but all of our sin into the ocean. It's like he, he picks up this heavy thing, puts it on his shoulders, and then chucks it into the deepest part of the sea. No human has seen the bottom of the ocean. The, the technology doesn't exist for us to go there. So listen, if something's at the bottom of the ocean, it's gone. Your sin in Jesus Christ has been sent away to a place where nobody can retrieve it. Next, God covers over our sin. He passes over them. Isaiah 38, 17 says that God put our sins behind his back. That means that God has literally covered your sins with himself, that he has separated who you are from your sins and your sinful nature. Friend, your sins are behind him. His eyes are on you, not on what you've done. And by the way, for those of us who declare Jesus as Lord, you never again have to look at your sins without first seeing Jesus in front of them. And God wipes away our sin. Psalm 51 describes it like a blotting out of sins. And Isaiah 44 describes it as like sleeping, I'm sorry, sweeping away clouds. I love this because it implies such gentleness, such a softness. You know when you get a stain on a shirt made of a delicate fabric, you have to gently blot it out to get the stain out. You slowly and meticulously cleanse the fabric so as not to damage it. Same with our Jesus. I believe God forgives instantly, but I don't believe we always receive his forgiveness instantly. Sometimes God has to blot out our transgressions, our our wrongdoings, just so softly and delicately so as to protect us in the process. And what I love about the imagery of blotting is that it implies a regularity, a constant motion that is needed in order to remove the blemish. There's... there's, (laughs) Sorry about that. The shirt slowly becomes cleaner and cleaner and cleaner until it's stain-free. 
And lastly, God removes our sin. Psalm 103, 12 is a well-known verse, but it says this, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. You and I simply cannot comprehend how far the east is from the west, and you and I simply cannot comprehend just how far God has removed our sin from us. All four of these collectively is how God forgives. He releases it. That's how God forgives me, and it's how God forgives you. And honestly, for some of you here today, that's what you need to hear the most. That is why you are here. I pray that the Holy Spirit himself would come right now to you and tell you that you, you specifically, not the person next to you, but you with all of your junk, that your sins are forgiven like this through Jesus' death on the cross. And it's wonderful. But here's where the challenge comes. This then is how we should try to forgive others. Now, I say try because that's how God forgives. We are not God. We're not going to do this perfectly. We can't remove sin, but we can forgive. Now, notice all of these expressions are verbs. They're action words. There's a, a doing that's associated with them. All four expressions imply an intentional decision to act, a choice. Forgiveness does not just happen. You, you don't just wake up one day having forgave someone who's wronged you. There's an intentionality in forgiveness. You have to want to do it. Or at least you have to be willing to tell God that you don't want to. And that'll be a fun conversation for you. But the truth is he can work with that too. And it's that desire, that intentionality that becomes the first step in the forgiveness process. And by the way, all of this also means that there's an intentional decision to acknowledge the hurt and pain that the sin has caused you. I just need to stop right here for a moment and camp out on this thought for a second because I think for some of us, the most difficult part of the forgiveness process is the fact that we don't want to admit we're hurting. We, we just don't even want to go there. We don't want to deal with it. We avoid it altogether like the offense never even happened. The world has lied to us and told us that somehow we maintain power if we don't let the other person hurt us, like somehow we still win. And that kind of thinking stunts our ability to forgive. So how about this instead? We do ourselves a huge disservice when we care about how sin affects the rest of the world, but ignore how sin affects us. 1 John chapter 1, verse 6 says this, If we claim to have fellowship with him, that is Jesus Christ, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. If we claim to be walking with the Holy Spirit, yet deny that sin hurts God's heart and therefore as his image bearer hurts our heart as well, we lie to ourselves. I think so often we forgive people on the sake of, well, that offense was wrong and leave it at that. We don't do the work. And by the way, it is work, hard work to see how that offense affected us emotionally, psychologically, and spiritually. Why don't we care more often? about the unseen hurts, you know, how the offense maybe robbed you of your security or caused fear in your life or, or made you feel worthless or affected your identity. Those things, those deep things are also injuries, wounds that need healing and forgiveness. We're so quick to heal and try to forgive the wounds we can see and totally gloss over the ones we can't. Let's be a people who change that for our benefit and for God's glory. So forgiveness is this strange combination, this weird mixture, this perfect mashup of sending sin away while also simultaneously passing over it, all while gently wiping it away and removing it. As one commentator summarized, forgiveness is a dynamic releasing one from their past while still acknowledging 
that the sins occurred. It's a lot. And I'm not saying I fully understand it all myself. I, I, it kind of defies logic. And here's why. Forgiveness is a divine activity. Where there's forgiveness, there's God. I believe forgiveness without Jesus Christ is not possible. I would go as far as say that if a non-Christian is truly able to forgive another person, it's because of God's common grace upon them. And so after you've acknowledged the real hurt that the offense has caused you, the real injuries you have, and after you decide that you actually do want to forgive the person who's hurt you and release them from the offense, invite the Holy Spirit in through prayer and petition and community and sometimes counseling to help you forgive them, to help you totally and completely forgive them. Some of you know this about me. I I share this story often, but I went through a season in my life where I prayed every day for three years to help someone forgive me, to help me forgive somebody. Sorry. One person, three years. And I do believe I have forgiven that person. I believe I've been healed from those offenses, but it was that dailiness of showing up before God that did it. That's why it's hard work. It requires effort and sometimes a lot of it. And so for you, just stay with it. Just keep making the choice to forgive and let your behaviors follow that decision every day until the evidence of unforgiveness is gone. Unforgiveness, by the way, if done intentionally, meaning you just don't want to forgive the other person, is an act of rebellion towards God who commands it and therefore is a sin. However, I think that for so many of us, the real problem is not that we're purposely not forgiving, It's that we're not purposely forgiving. Let me say that another way. It's not that we're intentionally holding unforgiveness. It's that we aren't intentionally extending forgiveness. If if you want to know if there's someone you need to forgive, look for evidence of unforgiveness in your life. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. That's the unforgiveness list. And I don't think it's at all coincidental that Bethany used this exact same text last week to describe the evil in our hearts. And actually for us today, we need to know that Paul goes on to tell us in the very next verse, right after listing all of these out, to forgive just as Christ forgave us. But let me break these things down for you real quick. And and listen, if the Holy Spirit reveals a person that you feel any of these towards, take note of it. Bitterness. You know when you eat something bitter like dark chocolate that has a high percentage of cacao and not much sugar, it, it kind of causes your mouth to respond in disgust, kind of like this gross, like, the, like you almost want to spit it out. Recently, God highlighted a person I needed to forgive, and, and I recognized it become, because whenever I would see this person's picture on Facebook or, or hear this person's name, I would like fake gag, like fake vomit in my mouth. Unforgiveness is distaste, a disgust of the person who hurt you. Not a disgust of the sin, mind you, but disgust of the person. Forgiveness is the removal of that displeasure. Next, rage and anger. If while thinking about someone, again, not the sin, but the person, you become angry, like maybe your face starts to turn red or, or your heart starts to beat fast or you start talking in a high t- high-pitched voice Uh, tone, which by the way is how I always talk, or you just start talking fast, or, or maybe you start to cry, or you just go off at the mention of that person. That's evidence that you need to forgive him or her. Side note, when you think of rage, think road rage, like the kind of response you have when someone drives like an idiot around you. 
Last week I was driving and I, I came to a four-way stop. This car with personalized license plates, uh, we'll call them Happy Days 123, which were not her real plates, but uh, she could be here. And I, I so I can't tell you what they really are. That'd be mortifying. But Happy Days 123 came to the four-way stop after me. Doesn't stop and goes before me. I literally yelled out loud in my car by myself, happy days, it is my turn. And that was not a stop. You guys, I literally yelled at her as if her license plates were her actual name. Guess who became the sinful one in that story? It was me. I had evidence of rage, evidence of unforgiveness. Forgiveness does not result in rage or anger. It results in peace. Forgiveness is ceasing to feel resentment for the wrong they've done. Next on the list is brawling and slander. If you quarrel regularly with someone, like you bitter, bicker all the time, I'm looking at you married couples, or you talk badly about someone else, it could be that you have unforgiveness in your heart towards that person. Forgiveness is not holding a grudge, and it doesn't seek to ruin somebody's reputation. And lastly, malice. If you have ill will towards another person, you might need to forgive him or her. Last week, Bethany described malice as assuming you know the other person's intentions. It is ill will to assume that the other person has ill will. Ill will does not show up as ill will. In fact, you might even say something like, I don't have any ill will towards her. But you might say things like, or you might think things like, well, that's karma. She had it coming to her. Or I don't want him to like actually die, but you know, just suffer a little bit. You all know what I'm talking about here. That malice could be because you're a mean person. Or it could be because that person has offended you and hurt you and you need to forgive them. Total forgiveness moves to a place where you actually want good for that person, where where you actually want God's blessings for them. Y'all, forgiveness is never deserved. It is always a matter of grace. That person who hurt you, they don't deserve your forgiveness. But then again, we didn't deserve Jesus's. So forgive and commit to keep at it until total forgiveness has been realized. That was question number one. Question number two, why is our forgiving other people so important to God? Why does this all matter so much anyway? We read the reason uh, why in the parable of the unmerciful servant. I'm heading to Matthew chapter 18. Peter asked Jesus how many times he should forgive someone. And Jesus replies with a certain number. And honestly, guys, the whole discussion surrounding what the correct number actually is has legit made me miss the point of the entire parable. And here's the point. We find it in verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. Friends, our sin created a debt we could never repay. We could never make it right. But we have a king who loves us and wanted to settle accounts with us, not us with him. We didn't want to settle accounts with him. He wanted to settle accounts with us. So he came and canceled it by paying for it himself. And he says, this is what my kingdom looks like. It's what I've been trying to tell you all this time. God's kingdom looks like someone who is owed something, choosing to cancel what is owed and to not hold them against, not hold it against them any longer out of love. Do we understand that? Because here's the thing, forgiven people forgive. When you know your identity is forgiven, you live out of that identity by forgiving We bear the image of God when we forgive, and we forgive those who also bear the image of God. These are our fellow image bearers we're talking about. These are our people whom God loved and created. 
We forgive because we know just how much we've been forgiven. We forgive out of gratitude for what God did, knowing just how much it cost him. We forgive because we want God's kingdom here on earth and we bring it. We bring God's kingdom by extending forgiveness. We are literally holding the keys to the kingdom in our hands when we forgive. If you want to know, if you want the world to know that Jesus has died on the cross and forgave them, then go show them what it looks like. Our forgiveness, however, shows just how little we understand, just how little we appreciate what God has done for us. Jesus wants the whole world to know about the forgiveness he offers and our own forgiveness, our own unforgiveness rather, can hinder people hearing that message. Our readiness to forgive is a sign that we get it. And there's one more reason why our unforgiveness towards other people matters so much to God. Matthew 18, verse 34, it's towards the end of the parable after the king finds out that the servant whose very large debt he's canceled has now refused to cancel the very small debt owed to him. Verse 34, in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. God wants freedom for us. Paul says in Galatians, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Unforgiveness imprisons us. We become prisoners to our thoughts, to our memories, our emotions, our anger, our hatred, our sin. We become isolated, lonely, helpless. We disconnect from the heart of God. Unforgiveness is the opposite of being free. It is anything but that. Unforgiveness is literally torture. And actually, it's the worst possible form. It's torment because it's torture you do to yourself. Some of you are miserable. You are, you are just downright miserable. You're miserable in your relationships. You're mis- miserable in your marriage. You're miserable at your workplace. You're miserable, miserable with yourself. Could it be that your misery is caused by your own choice to not forgive? Freedom comes from forgiveness. And here's the thing. We can't undo the past. We know that. And I'm not saying what happened to you was okay. But just like how sin affects other people, so does grace and goodness. You can't change the past, but you don't have to be imprisoned by it for one second longer in your future. And that is why God cares so much about this issue. It's because he cares about you. He has an abundant life for you, and unforgiveness isn't a part of it. Which brings me to the last question. I promise we're almost done here. The question is, does God really not forgive me if I don't forgive other people? Listen, if at any point you have to do something to earn your salvation, then it is not the salvation Jesus promises. It is not the free gift described in the Bible. God's mercy is not a reward for doing good. It is a gift of grace, period. You cannot earn your forgiveness and you cannot lose your forgiveness. But here's what can happen if you choose to not forgive. You could lose the benefits of God's presence, not his spirit. God will not remove his spirit from you, but you could lose the benefits of his presence. You could lose joy or peace or God's favor or his kindness. You might feel distant from God. Church might feel like a chore, not a respite. You could forfeit what God otherwise has planned for you. You might lose your heavenly reward. Your relationship will be fractured. I mean, that's what sin does. And fractured relationships do not enjoy the same fullness that whole relationships enjoy. There are consequences for unforgiveness. 
And while all of those things can be true, R.T. Kendall notes an important observation on this topic. I want to share it with you, but first let me reread Matthew 6, 14 and 15 to you again. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. R.T. Kendall notes the words, your Father will not forgive your sins, and says, God does not cease being your Father if you choose to not forgive. It grieves him, it disappoints him, it hurts him, but he is still our Father. Isn't that wonderful news? I want to close with this. There's a book in the Bible named Leviticus. It's the third book from beginning it to end, and it's found in the Old Testament. It honestly has some strange stuff in it, but it's kind of fun to say, so we keep it. I'm kidding. But basically, it contains and describes the Jewish laws at that time, many of which we really don't understand in today's culture. But there's one law in particular in chapter 25 that I wanted to share with you today. It's called the Year of Jubilee. Every 50th year, God commanded that all slaves be set free, all prisoners be released, and all debts be canceled. Imagine the celebration that would have occurred every 50th year when the year of Jubilee came around. Imagine being enslaved and being freed, or being in prison and then being released, or having all your debts canceled. There'd be dancing and singing and and praising and joy. There'd be joy, so much joy. Here's the problem. There's no evidence that the year of Jubilee ever actually happened. The Israelites just couldn't stay faithful that long. They needed a savior. But there's good news for us. We have one. We have a savior. For us, today is the day of Jubilee. Today and every day for the rest of our lives is the day of Jubilee because we have a king who wanted to settle accounts with us. He freed us and canceled our debts once and for all. And he desires that everyone in the world experience that kind of freedom. You and I have the opportunity to bring the day of Jubilee to the rest of the world through forgiving them and showing them God's forgiveness. Here's the thing. Forgiveness is hard. It requires disciplining ourselves for the goal. It requires releasing things for the cause. It requires training of showing up, trying it, not doing it perfectly, and then trying again. It requires endurance and perseverance. There are times when you will want to quit. You may even actually quit for a season. But in the end, if you do it, forgiving other people is like your medal ceremony. It's your gold medal. It is evidence of your victory. Forgiveness is victory. Not sinning in response to an offense is victory. Healing is victory. Freedom is victory. And it's your victory because we have a victory. It's your, and it's your victory because it's a victory that has already been won by you, by a God who is victorious. God is victory.